Aloha, and welcome to the latest edition of Telehealth in Hawaii. I'm your host, Vikram Acharya. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Cloudwell Health, a local healthcare services provider. We have a great show for you today. March of 2023 is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And on this show, we have Dr. Rob Wong of Hawaii Gastroenterology Specialists, who's going to walk us through preventative and educational areas around colorectal cancer. Enjoy the show. Mahalo. Dr. Wong, how are you today? I'm doing great, Vic. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you. Great to have you. Appreciate you being on the show. To get things started, you're a local gastroenterologist. Your practice is Hawaii gastroenterologist specialist. What got you into medicine? What got you to this stage in your career so far? Yeah, so my father was a physician. He was a cancer specialist in California, and he always really touted medicine. He thought it was the greatest field ever. And uh, I'm the last of four kids, and so I think he he really wanted one of his kids to go into go into medicine, and I was the last chance. And uh, I I I really enjoyed science. Um, yeah, high school, college, uh, and I. I was really just interested in the in the human body and 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 uh, and biology and chemistry, physics. It all really interested me, and that's what I excelled at. And I figured, well, yeah, I think medicine's a great field. My dad never really complained about it. Um, he thought it um, the essence of medicine was really unique, and it was a privilege taking care of patients and. He just really enjoyed it, so I think just using him as a as a role model, uh, I went with it, and um, I've I've never regretted it. It's a, it's it's been a pleasure. Excellent, excellent. What uh, got you specifically into gastroenterology? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, there's there's so many options when you're going through medical school. Um, I was just drawn to the the anatomy and the physiology and the ailments of the digestive system. It, mm -hmm. um, it interested me. And then, you know, going through your rotations, you hook up with certain mentors. And I had a great mentor who really enjoyed gastroenterology. Um, and I think that really consolidated my interest. The thing with gastroenterology is it's a good mix of a lot of different um, aspects of medicine. There's uh, acute care. There's a lot of emergency type ailments that we see, but there's also a lot of preventative uh, the conditions that we take care of. Uh, so it gives you a, a, a mixed bag of things. It's, it, it doesn't really get boring. Um, every day is different. Uh, and um, uh, it's, it's just, a, it's just a great field to be in. The gastroenterologist, tend to be a happier group. They tend to be more laid back. Um, they're not as high strung as such as my uh, surgical colleagues. So it, that is also, it fits my personality. Very good, very good. Now, you know, March, 2023, this month is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. And you obviously see a wide variety of patients uh, with this condition. And for our audience, what is exactly colorectal cancer and what can occur to the body when it does happen? 
Yeah, so uh, colorectal cancer. So the colon in, uh, is our large intestine. That's uh, the, how, how many people refer to it. So the large intestine, it's the last part of our digestive system. Uh, and uh, as we obviously eat food and ingest uh, our nutrients, it passes through our stomach, our small intestine, and then eventually enters the large intestine. Large intestine, um, and it's not really involved too much with uh, uh, nutrient absorption. Uh, it's mostly, it, it, it uh, absorbs water um, and it, um, it forms our stool, which we'll eventually pass when the time is right. Um, but uh, it, it is an organ that has a predilection for forming cancer. So it is the, one of the more common types of cancers we see. Um, if you look at all the cancers that we encounter in the United States, it is, it is behind breast cancer, prostate cancer, and lung cancer. But in terms of mortality, in terms of deaths, it's the second leading cause of cancer-related death in the United States. So it is, it's quite common, um, but it is a largely preventative cancer. Um, the, the cancers that develop in the colon originate from a entity called a polyp. So a polyp is a growth in the colon that with time can transform and grow into a cancer. So it allows us an opportunity to intervene. And that's where colon cancer screening is really based on. I see. Are there certain types of lifestyle factors such as diet, um, other areas where that can increase the likelihood of colorectal cancer? Yes, uh, there's been a lot, a lot of studies that have looked at what, uh, what, what are risk factors for colon cancer. And um, it, uh, in terms of diet and lifestyle, um, there's been a lot of different things. We, we think that certain uh, risk factors exist. Uh, those include obesity, uh, being sedentary, but there's also some uh, dietary things. So uh, a lot of preserved foods, uh, red meat, uh, low fruits and vegetables. So a higher fiber diet seems to be beneficial. Um, lower vitamin D levels seem to predispose. Um, smoking, alcohol, uh, those are all, all raise your risk to some degree. Um, there is also some relationship to diabetes, but, uh, that shares the risk factors of obesity, being overweight and sedentary lifestyle. So <laughs> those are all, those are all risk factors that we've identified as potentially contributing. Mm -hmm. What are some of the symptoms that occur if I'm, you know, if feeling sick or, uh, stomach pain, are there certain symptoms that are associated with colorectal cancer? Yeah, so the um, what I like to say is you, we really don't like to have people, obviously, but for people to develop symptoms, because at that point, they've developed a cancer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a common thing for patients to say to me is, hey, I feel great. I don't have any symptoms. Why do I need to get colon cancer screened? It does miss the point of screening, though, is really to detect a lesion or a precancerous um, entity before it becomes a problem, those are invariably don't have any symptoms to them. So, so when uh, we don't, we don't want patients to present with symptoms. When they do develop 
colon cancer, the most common symptom is usually uh, bleeding. So they'll pass blood from below, mm -hmm. and that can be something you can see or sometimes is detected on a test that a doctor or healthcare provider would order. Um, other symptoms that some patients complain about are abdominal pain, uh, usually you know, recurrent pain or constant pain. Uh, you know, everyone gets abdominal pain here and there, but it, it, it would be alarming if it's persistent, something different for you. Um, mm -hmm. Some people complain of changes in their bowels or their stools, so it'll be a different character, it'll be different, just shape, um, different consistency, different frequency, uh, and weight loss. That's another concerning symptom. So I usually uh, rely a lot on weight loss that people complain of weight loss and they're having other symptoms that I'm, raises my antennae that maybe there's something going on in the colon. Weight loss as in unexplained weight loss? Unexplained weight loss, yes, correct. I see. I see. Now, if some of these symptoms do occur, and hopefully there's ways to prevent them in advance, uh, what types of lifestyle factors, dietary changes do you recommend uh, to prevent something like colorectal cancer? Yeah, so really, it, it kind of just boils down to a healthy lifestyle. So there, there are modifiable, we call modifiable risk factors. So, and that really hinges on a, on a healthy lifestyle. So eating more fruits and vegetables, higher fiber diet. Fiber tends to have a, uh, a housekeeping role in the colon. So it, it naturally cleanses the colon and moves things through. Um, a lot of people will ask me, hey, should I do a colon cleanse periodically? And I just tell them, well, you should be taking, you know, take a fiber. You should have a high fiber diet. Take a fiber supplement if you want to, something like Metamucil. Uh, it, will, it will serve that function. Uh, and then, yeah, just exercise, uh, eating right. So a lot of, a lot more on lean meats. If you're a meat eater, we want to avoid the red meats, the fatty meats. Um, uh, and uh, if you smoke, obviously, try not to smoke. If you drink excessively, try not to drink excessively. So it really just kind of boils down to having a really uh, healthy lifestyle. Now, there, there are risk factors that we don't or we cannot modify, such as our genetics, right? So we do know there's a strong relationship between colon cancer and our family history, particularly if you have a first-degree relative that has colon or rectal cancer that mm -hmm. seems to elevate your risk uh, significantly. So uh, that is something that we should all be aware of. It's not a common topic that we discuss with our relatives at the dinner table. Um, it should be divulged more often. Uh, whenever I diagnose someone with colon cancer or if they have a lot of colon polyps that elevate the risk, I encourage them to discuss it with their first-degree relatives, make sure right. that they've had appropriate screening done. Right, right. Now, in terms of accessing a gastroenterologist for something like this, um, can patients find you directly or do they need to go through a primary care doctor first uh, to receive this, uh, these types of medical services? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, there's, there's different, uh, it's a complicated answer because uh, and sometimes insurance companies will dictate what the right path you need to take. Uh, we as gastroenterologists do encourage a system called an open access system where we Want we want to really remove the barriers to getting a, a colonoscopy if patients want to get a colonoscopy. 
So uh, removing one of those barriers is obviously making the appointment process easier. Mm-hmm. So if a patient, yes, we do allow patients to directly contact us and set up appointments if they are interested and not go through their primary care physician. Um, and if uh, there is a possibility, even if they are, if they're healthy and uh, we don't have any concerns about the procedure itself, we will what we call direct access, which means you will, I'll see him at the time of the colonoscopy. I don't even do a preoperative visit necessarily. So it does save that step. Uh, so sometimes we will see patients directly. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's, Vic, I just want, there are different types of colon cancer screening. It doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be colonoscopy, right? There's, there's other methods to do it. And those methods are widely available uh, through primary care physicians, through other healthcare providers. Some health entities will, like insurance companies, are, are bigger health entities like Kaiser will even send out uh, screening methods um, to patients directly. So uh, there doesn't even have to be a doctor involved necessarily. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're, we, really the point is trying to uh, make it accessible to as many people as possible. Right, right. Outside of the colonoscopy, what types of uh, testing measures are there? Yeah, so the the easiest one or the most readily available, it's also the cheapest, would be, it's called a, uh, a FIT test or FIT. So what that is, is testing for uh, human blood in the stool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're, originally, the test was designed to test for any blood in the stool. And so that could have been, uh, you know, something you ingested. So like red meat, um, it, it could cause a, a, a positive result, although it wasn't from from human, right? So um, there there has been improvement in that. So now the test checks for human blood, and uh, so it's more specific for that. And so that test is 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 readily available. It's easy to do. Uh, you can you do it at home. Uh, you basically have to take. A, a small sample of your stool and place it on the, the testing strip and then mm-hmm. you send it back and they the lab will check to see if there's any blood in it if it's positive then you need the next step which is a colonoscopy so that's that's the the most the cheapest most readily available test there's another test and probably people if you watch television you see it all the time it's called Colagard. That is also a stool-based test. Um, that test is a little bit more sophisticated. It checks for blood, but it also checks for DNA mutations in the stool. So the mm-hmm. idea there is if you had a cancer, it the cells from the cancer shed into the stool, and the Cologuard is, is detecting that. So it's a little bit more accurate um, with regards to, to colon cancer, detecting colon cancers. Uh, again, if it's positive, you need a colonoscopy. So those are probably the, the two main ones that are readily available. There are some other ones that aren't really in favor, like um, CT colonography. There's also mm-hmm. a pill, pill camera that people are really interested in. I have a poster of it in my office. People always ask me about that. Why can't I do that? Um, it, uh, it, it, it's it's available but not readily covered by insurance and not readily available in Hawaii. So we, we don't use that very very much. That's interesting. 
Now, relative to the general United States population, are colorectal cancer incidence rates higher in Hawaii? Uh, about the same, lower? What statistically? What it's, are a, it's about the same. I, I, I think it's about the same. We, our, our demographics, we, um, we, so if you look at the United States, there are certain ethnic populations that tend to have a higher, uh, higher prevalence of colon cancer. African Americans, um, tend to, uh, some native American populations, uh, the, our population here, it, 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 it seems to be on par with what the national stats are. So, but if you look at it, so you, if you just look at your lifetime risk, it's about, yeah, I'd say about 5%. So all comers about 5%, um, lifetime risk of getting colon cancer. It is another misconception, though, that I should address is that a lot of people think it's a male disease. It mm -hmm. is not. It's an equal opportunity with regards to gender. So we see it both in males and females. Um, so that shouldn't, uh, if you're female, you still need colon cancer screening. Now, there's a lot of literature out there at the appropriate age of which to get a colonoscopy. Um, what are your thoughts on? an appropriate age range, assuming no other symptoms that you outlined? Um, what is a typical age for, for, from a preventive standpoint? Yeah, so we've seen a paradigm shift in the last couple of years. Um, this was prompted by an alarming increase in colon cancer incidence in younger populations. So mm -hmm. we noticed that uh, Although we seem to be making some progress in older populations, the younger populations started to have an uptick in the incidence of colon cancer. And there's a lot of different theories of why that is. We're not exactly sure. We do maybe think it's related to diet. Maybe our, our, our diet is not as healthy as it used to be. We're eating a lot more preserved uh, or processed foods, sorry, that um, aren't so healthy for our, our gastrointestinal tract. And maybe that's contributing obesity, which is an epidemic now, uh, uh, like I said, with a risk factor for colon cancer. And maybe that's contributing as well. So there's a lot of different thoughts on that. But what, yeah, we did see an increase. So the age uh, when we started colon rectal cancer, if you looked at it five years ago, was 50, mm -hmm. assuming you're, you're average risk. And what I mean by average risk is that you don't have a family history of colon mm -hmm. cancer and you don't have any predisposing medical condition um, that would increase your risk. So average risk, we started at 50 years of age for both males and females. So a few years ago, a couple of years ago, the United States um, Preventative Task Force came in with new recommendations to lower that age to 45. Hmm. So again, so average risk screening, we started at 45 years, years of age. Um, and now that, so that is in place. Uh, there's most insurance companies do recognize that recommendation. There are some that have not adopted it yet. So we're, we're waiting for that to be more universal, but I would say that the majority will cover a screening at age 45. Now, if you do have a family history, uh, like I said, if you had a first degree relative, then that age is going to get lowered. If you have predisposing conditions, um, a disease that, that increases your risk, then the age is lower as well. Lowering the age from 50 to 45, that's that's quite significant. If you think of how many people in between now should take these preventive measures. 
Yes, it's been a, a, I would say from a, just from a palpable, my standpoint, I've, I've noticed a dramatic increase in the referrals for colon cancer screening. It's a big chunk of the population, uh, 45 to 50 years of age. And um, I mean, thankfully, the, it's been recognized. A lot of primary care physicians are into it. And uh, we've seen, yeah, we've seen a lot uh, increase in number of, of referrals for colon cancer screening. It does raise the question of how do we have enough resources to address the increase in 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 uh, the, the the people that are eligible for colon cancer screening, and uh, we do have to address that because we probably don't have enough enough physicians or healthcare providers to do colonoscopies, um, mm-hmm. and uh, we had to look at, at at ways to really improve access, right? Um, but again, there are other options besides colonoscopy that people can adopt, and so uh, those those will also take a prominent role. You know, on the subject of access, what are your thoughts on telehealth? You know, it's obviously uh, for something like a colonoscopy, you have to receive medical care in person. But in terms of at least expanding access, uh, connecting patients in rural areas to physicians like yourself, does that help at least as a first step? I think it does. I think it's I think it's a tremendous help. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of patients don't want to necessarily come into the office. I, I certainly don't want to go see my doctor unless I have to. But, uh, you know, so just being able to 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 do a short visit, um, you know, co- seeing you before a colonoscopy, doing a pre-op for a colonoscopy. One, it's often not necessary. Like like I alluded to earlier, I'll, I'll be happy to do your colonoscopy if you're relatively healthy without seeing you first, if you're comfortable with that. I leave it up really to the patient. Hey, some patients want to see me. They want to meet me before. Reasonable. Um, some some don't necessarily want to meet me beforehand. They just want to get the procedure done. Also reasonable. But for the patients um, that, uh, it's, it, that do want to see me, it's a quick visit. It can be five minutes. Um, and it's just me going over you know, your history a little bit, uh, your surgical history, your family history, uh, and then explaining the procedure to you. So that that's prime for telehealth, really, because mm-hmm. it it you know if you come into the office, take you just twenty minutes to get from the door uh, uh, into the exam room, and then it might take another ten minutes or fifteen minutes for me to actually come into the room. So mm-hmm. if I can do it in five minutes. It saves it saves both of us quite a bit of time. So I think telehealth is perfect for that. And yeah. I do you know the other. The other thing that improves access is really physician extenders. Um, you know, our, our physician associates, our uh, nurse practitioners, they play a prominent role in this because they can also, they can do these preoperative visits. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they're well equipped with that. And I, I think that's been, a, in my practice, that's been, uh, I'd say that's been a significant benefit for us is to, to use uh, physician extenders. And they can help. Uh see more patients because I'm sure there's significant demand uh, for gastroenterology services, but between you and your physician extender team, you can see more. Yes. You know, I, I, the, the rate limiting step for uh, this, for colonoscopy access or screening access is really the office uh, because you have limited resources in the office. You have limited space, limited personnel, limited time, right? So, 
Um, if you can facilitate that, make more that more efficient, you're going to have a higher throughput to actually get pay, put patients to to do what they're there for, which is the colonoscopy, right? Yeah. So that if you can if you can facilitate that, um, then it, it it makes it makes the whole thing way more efficient. You can see more patients. You can get more patients screened. Right. Now, um, how long does the procedure take, you know, for the colonoscopy? And how soon do patients reasonably expect to get the results of are they at risk? Do they have colorectal cancer? Yeah, so it's a, um, the process is really, uh, it, it's a little, it can be intimidating for patients. So what we do after we've done their preoperative visit, uh, we have them, we go through instructions on how to get ready for the colonoscopy. So it's a little bit of a process. So we do alter the diet for a couple of days beforehand, uh, meaning, you know, we, we, we don't have them, we restrict certain items in the diet. And then uh, the day before the colonoscopy, we have them start uh, what's called a clear liquid diet. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a diet, it's a liquid diet. It's uh, liquids that you can physically see through. So if you hold up a glass, and filled it with the liquid, you can see through it. Okay, so that's that's something you can drink. If it's mm-hmm. cloudy, like milk, you can't drink that. So patients start that the day before. And then they do what's called a bowel preparation. Mm-hmm. And that can be the challenging part for patients. Um, that it basically involves drinking a solution. It's a medicine, but it's a solution that um, cleans the colon out. So it's a, it's a laxative. Uh, it doesn't taste great, and it's a fair amount of liquid that you have to drink. So we have them drink that um, at home, and uh, once they get through that, then they're ready for their colonoscopy. So yep. they come in to the uh, wherever we're going to do the colonoscopy. So I do it at a ambulatory surgery center, uh, which is an outpatient facility, not the hospital. Um, but, uh, again, there's, there's benefits to that if, if you want to discuss that, but, uh, the, the outpatient center, you come in, we check you in, the nurse will take your vital signs, take your history. Um, they'll search, insert an IV usually into your arm mm-hmm. and then, uh, uh, we get you ready and we go to the, the procedure room. Um, mm-hmm. we get you off to sleep. So we give you a, uh, a moderate, uh, what we call moderate or deep sedation. So we get you off to sleep. Um, so you're asleep. Uh, and my, the way I do it is you're asleep. Uh, but we don't need to put you on a breathing machine or anything to support you. You're basically just putting, going to sleep. Your body's doing its own thing. And then we do the actual colonoscopy. So the colonoscopy itself, it can vary depending on what you find. Uh, it takes about 20, 30 minutes to do the colonoscopy. Okay. And then you wake up soon thereafter. Uh, we take you to a recovery room, let you wake up, let you feel comfortable. We let you drink some fluids, make sure you're doing okay. And then we discharge you and let you go home. So the whole process from the time you check in to the time you check out is about two hours. That's what we shoot for. Um, and then we ask that you take the, the rest of the day easy. But we don't want people usually working. Um, they just go home, relax, uh, have someone take care of you. <laughs> You're usually functional, though. You can do what you, you, you can. You can You can function. It's just we just want you to take it easy, and then by the next day, you're back to normal. Good. It seems like a pretty, pretty seamless process for the most part. 
Yes, it, it is. Um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by it, obviously, and I understand that. But um, the actual process is how most people, when you ask them after their procedure, uh, they invariably will say, hey, the, 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 the day before was the hardest part. I didn't enjoy drinking the solution. I didn't enjoy going to the bathroom a lot. Uh, but the actual procedure itself was a breeze. Yeah. Um, it doesn't hurt. They don't, you don't feel it. You might be a little gassy, crampy afterwards, but, um, yeah, you don't, you don't really have any pain during the procedure. It's a painless procedure. Yeah. You know, Dr. Wong, you've really done a nice job of outlining colorectal cancer, you know, what can potentially trigger it, ways to prevent it, not only through some techniques at home with the at-home test kits, but also the colonoscopy and we thank you for your time. This has just been very educational, very informative. And we great. appreciate what you're doing in terms of taking great care of the patients in Hawaii and also providing all this critical knowledge for all of us to take care of ourselves. I mean, the preventive aspects are really key. <laughs> it is. It's, a, it's very important. We want as many people to get colon cancer screening as possible. Um, it's really a preventable cancer. Uh, in these in this day and age, we we should be able to prevent most, if not all, colon cancers. Yeah, yeah. And to your point, the fact that it is a very preventable cancer means that we should all take the initiative to take better care of ourselves and use many of the techniques that you've mentioned. And we're very grateful. Thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy clinician. We appreciate your time very much. Thank you for having me. Mahalo. Mahalo. Thank you so much for watching Think Tech Hawaii. If you like what we do, please like us and click the subscribe button on YouTube and the follow button on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and donate to us at thinktechhawaii.com. Mahalo.